Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Because the more I watch this video, the more I think <laughs> that like we might need to you know break format and instead of talking about these incredibly uncomfortable films we could just sit back and watch uh the making of breaking a sweat by skrillex and the doors this seems like a really great music documentary which might actually prove to be as difficult a pill to swallow as the two films that are double feature today yeah this you know before getting into any, well, maybe well, we should talk real. about Skrillex. Skrillex yeah. and the Doors collab is real. Both of these <laughs> movies are fake things that are presented. So, like, I don't know that exists in in horrifying oh reality. I just, I, you know, right before we were on mic, I said, you know, what's great about Annette uh, is that in the opening scene, Sparks are wearing the headphones that me and Malcolm wear. I just saw Ray Manzarek wearing those headphones. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get out of here. Uh, welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 120. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm GT White. And our double feature this week, we're going baby mode. It's <laughs> Peter Greenaway's 1993 film, The Baby of Macon, and Bob Clark's film, Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2, uh, 2004, I believe. Yes. Um, JT, why... why why are you like a baby suckling at the teat of some of the most uh, grotesque films that I've ever laid eyes on? Well, I gave a totally different uh, explanation than what I'm going to give uh, for why I picked these movies last week than what it actually is now. It's like, oh. um, okay. Um, obviously there's been a big push for us to hit $300 on Patreon. I'm like, I'm really, I'm a finance guy. I'm always looking at a bunch of different angles and trying to see what the best route we, we got to get more money. We got to yeah. get more people to listen to the podcast and people love like identity shit and representation. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so there's a market that no one's really tapping into yet babies and it's like if we can get these babies to listen to extended <laughs> clip now <laughs> while they're still young and they like hmm. they're like okay so i'm like finally something i want to like movies that i care about yeah. <laughs> by the time they're old enough to steal daddy's credit card they're our biggest fan exactly and they're, they're given the bonus pledge i just think sure. it's a good investment this is like a long-term plan you know <laughs> we're planting we put, the seeds put something out for the babies now then when they're seven and they got the motor skills to type in a credit card number <laughs> look this is a high class long-term investment this isn't a, some get rich quick scheme we all have steady jobs this That's is a long-term uh, plan and uh, we're gonna set it into action this week with our baby movies so let's get <laughs> the record straight um, one of these movies is for babies one of these is uh, more on the NC-17 side of things and we're gonna start with that one Peter Greenaway's film The Baby of Macon premiered at the Cannes Film Festival out of competition <laughs> in 1993 and it also played TIFF that year oh uh it was playing out of competition alongside rennie harlan's cliffhanger 
Oh. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of <laughs> cut like both sides of uh, the vibes of cinema, like the incredibly great vibes of Rennie Harlan and maybe the most miserable vibes ever put to screen in the last hour of The Baby of Macan. It was released later in 1997. It took four years to get over to the United States, uh, which Peter Greenaway has described many times as like a, a puritanical country, you know, because <laughs> people don't want to distribute his dirty movies here. I mean, not, I like the movie, love Greenaway, although I don't know if I need to watch uh, another Greenaway movie for a while after seeing this one. But uh, is, what, I guess, you know, was there was there a huge demand for the baby of Macan? Like, people heard what was going on in this movie. And they're like, we bring it over here at all costs, you know. But I, res- I respect the hustle, you know what I mean? Free speech. You know, I know I said we're about I- identity now, but we also do love free speech as always. And, you we're know, juggling Gre- a couple plates. Yeah, and Greenaway, I mean, he, he uses it to the full extent here. You know, he, oh, uh, you know if, if I were a lesser critic, I would say he's holding nothing back. Uh, you were talking about like what the demand for this film is, and I was looking at some contemporary reviews from the festival, and one that I found hilarious was from Variety, and this is like, I guess when the public was reading it less, and it was more, like, I thought it was more of a trade magazine back in the olden days, but this is only 1993, and this is how the report is written. Um, the pic's sexual gross-out elements could attract frisky early biz, but this one doesn't look likely to develop the longer arthouse legs of early Greenaway films. Oh, uh, Macan probably won't bring home the B.O. Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ever, this, you know, it, it, this movie, it is, it's a lot to take in, so it's like afterwards it's easy just to make like a nice snarky remark and be like, yeah. well, hey, well, that was a lot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> But it kind of seemed to be a refrain among people like Jonathan Rosenbaum's review is just like, I watched it out of a sense of obligation. (laughs) (laughs) And Dave Kerr talks about how it's like the the jigs up kind of, that was kind of the vibe of his (laughs) review Uh, to paraphrase him very loosely. It seemed like the jig was up uh, in terms of the Peter Greenaway project for Dave Kerr with this one. But there's, there's a lot going like, you know, beyond. I like it a lot less than Droughtsman contracts, but I can't write it off completely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Greenaway for me like I generally I'm on board with what he's doing but mm-hmm. like I don't know sometimes I can see why not everyone would fuck with him and you can lose a lot of support um, pretty quickly because some of the ones like uh, Prospero's books is like a weird like Shakespearean adaptation that just has like a bunch of naked people and is just pretty like I don't know avant-garde and mm-hmm. strange in that respect and like I don't know. It, it, he he's doing his own thing so hard that I got to give him props for it and is generally pretty has like a pretty negative and like cynical view of humanity <laughs> and here that is like on full display. Yeah. No, yeah, and this I mean I've only seen a couple Greenway movies, but this one, I mean obviously it being like kind of a movie play or whatever or kind of taking place all on stage it kind of adds a whole other element to it and yeah just like it is like an overwhelmingly more negative and much more explicit movie than like his others i would say like something like the droughtsman's contract is like it has its moments of course but it is like i don't know like it it does feel more in like kind of a, in an art house vein despite all this where it's like greenway's kind of laying all his cards on the table and yeah 
he's like, I don't, I don't stand with those people. Like I kind of stand alone here. And yeah, no, it almost, uh, <laughs> certain scenes. The only thing I could really think of a parallel to was like the devils. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Also speaking of the devils, uh, which has in common with this, the cinemascope framing and, yeah, we talked a lot about like the the painterly frames of the Droughtsman's contract when we did a bonus episode on that one a few months ago, and uh, it really helped like the tall frame that he was working with there. And here, it's so weird because the cinemascope frame is just like always exploring. There are a lot of very static shots of the, I guess, the proscenium of the theater, but you kind of get lost within that stage and he kind of expands that stage and messes with the space a little bit. And the framing is, uh, I would say it's definitely not as gorgeous as the Droughtsman contract. It's a lot less pleasant to look at, but it feels more attuned to cinema specifically than the way he approached uh, the visual style of Droughtsman's contract, which is strange to say because this all takes place within <laughs> a play. There's, I think this movie has a very particular... Uh, mood to it you know of course given the content but like the visual style it kind of like it you know it, it does that weird thing where it kind of lulls you it's like there's a lot of like ceremonies mm -hmm. there's not a lot of conversations <laughs> it's like mostly people like declaring things and it's like it's uh i don't know like it, it could kind of like you, like for me at least it could kind of like lull you a bit and kind of like put you in kind of like this mode you know, where you're just kind of roving around the stage and you know what I mean? There's not, there's a specific attention to what's going on, but like visually, you know, it's just kind of drifting and whatnot. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's a very interesting sensation of kind of like, oh, like I almost get disinterested and then I'm like, Oh wait, like he kind of just upends you with something. Yeah. I mean it like, it just sort of floats around from different vibes that I think like <laughs> help with what he's getting at of like, some respect of like the reality of things and like what is a part of the play and what are like the spectators like the the upper class like commenting and adding shit in and whatnot and I think some moments where he's able to sort of like focus in away from the set like it's like I don't know you're not exactly sure how much of the attraction uh between uh Rafe finds and uh the lead woman Julia Armand yeah um are like how Armand. much how much of it is uh like for the play and how much of it is actually between them mm -hmm. and just like I don't know there are a lot of interesting lines there that Greenaway crosses and I think are like helped by um the way his camera sort of wanders and like will at times emphasize how fake and stagey it is. And then other times just like make it like, I don't know, you're in the world of the play. And before we get into the content of the play itself, which kind of guides the narrative of the film itself, of course, uh, the, the biggest like aspect of the audience uh, is pretty much, I guess you would say the third or fourth build character, uh, Cosimo Medici who is like this baby-faced bigwig who seems to be, uh, you know, the man who holds the most power in that audience. And, you know, partway through the film, he begins to consult 
the play as it's going on and they they kind of like turn to him because he's such a great patron such an important person uh you know that he is kind of deciding the fate which obviously he then decides like the most grotesque thing imaginable to happen on a film he's like yeah what if they did that what if they what if we could see a little bit of that and he even like the, i don't know the way greenway shows it he, it's very coy like he whispers it to the bishop uh and then we see it play out over fucking 15 minutes uh the most torturous scene and i i feel like you know it's there's a lot to admire about this film but i am kind of questioning uh the purpose of it all like it feels very hollow to be honest like uh he said that his inspiration for it was like this advertisement getting banned in England because it, it showed like a baby that was like bloody and had an umbilical cord. And he was like, how can they, you know, ban this, but normalize and glamorize rape and murder in Hollywood cinema. And then he does this in an attempt to make like an unglamorized, you know, uh, portrait of like real suffering, uh, as he says, real retribution and real hurt and real cause and effect. But it's like, obviously, he's being so coy in like some of the decisions he's making with the storytelling. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it's a little too miserable for me. I mean, I think that's a fair critique. It, maybe this movie is a little bit too miserable for its own good. But like at the same time, like... I guess also I'm sorry the prelude to that quote before he says all that real stuff he says uh, this is not a gore splatter I don't know why I'm doing this voice for a British (laughs) dude but this is not a gore splatter movie not a cartoon not a Donald Duck Bruce Willis situation (laughs) fuck you that's awesome he's like this isn't no Mickey Mouse bullshit came out (laughs) the same year and is 10 times the fucking film (laughs) well all right see I you know and I think this is a good film too I'm just saying Bruce Willis starred in a much better film the very same year and it was the third film in a fucking franchise so give me a break (laughs) peter hey man you know well that's i'm kind of surprised to hear those quotes you know i feel like i guess i wouldn't expect that kind of rhetoric from greenway but it's i guess maybe not well i mean he's like a real elitist like art school guy like that's you could yeah which i mean is weird because i think there's like a what i'm most attracted to his work is the interplay between like lowbrow and highbrow stuff yeah. like i mean he indulges in it like less for comic effect here but i don't know that's what i yeah. i generally will enjoy even though he's like a a real hoity-toity uh with stillman type well, for yeah, sure. I mean, we talked about that with droughtsman's contract and it really worked for me in that film too i yeah. i think he crossed the line man well that's <laughs> the thing i don't i don't think this movie's hoity-toity he, yeah. like, <laughs> in, in the least like it's not him kind of doubling down on that like I guess I, w- what I like always get from his movies is like a very simple base reading that might even be too simple, but like, like I don't know, the society he comes from is an ugly society. It should yeah. not be glamorized, and like you know, there's a lot of these. See, like I in my head, I feel like he was you know kind of going after like these prestige period pieces. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm sure he is to an extent. I'm sure he's not, you know, the biggest fan of like you know, especially now you know. Is he still alive? You know, all the fucking like Netflix British shit he'd be he'd be rolling in his grave. But uh, <laughs> I think he's still alive. <laughs> um, he'd be rolling around in his bed. But uh, <laughs> call us up, Peter. <laughs> but yeah, Let's so like, the score. That's what I think about when I think about his movies. Not like uh, I don't think of Die Hard Three not having enough substance. I think of kind of like maybe even unintentionally kind of like the false depiction of like prestige period pieces, especially from England. And he's like, well, what if I just kind of exposed 
kind of like the ugly and stuffy nature of that time. Cause this movies always have like kind of this stuffy, uncomfortable quality that I think are added from just like kind of the natural elements of the time, how kind of ridiculous people dressed in like kind of like ornate decorations. And he's, you know, obviously recognized this stuff as like grotesque. And like, you know, I've always kind of had a problem watching like movies from like medieval era or, you know, whatever, Whatever you mean, depicting yeah, medieval era? Yeah, no, from <laughs> you can really. It's really hard to find. Yeah, not, <laughs> no, yeah, depicting medieval era. Just because it's like I've always found that stuff like I don't know, like it just seems uncomfortable to me. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't. It's think too it's like, far removed in the past. I, I feel like I to, guess so. Yeah, yeah I, I don't it's know. not cool. But and he's like, he recognizes like, yeah, that's there's nothing cool about that stuff. It's like you could rape a woman two hundred times back then, and uh, yeah. I, that's what happens in this movie. I'm not. I'm not well, I'm that's not, not the it. thing that that's not like the that, that's what happens in the last like 20 minutes. We haven't I mean, really said what happens in this movie. True. I mean, it does kind it of happens build in the last to like that. 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that scene, as we said, is like 15 minutes long, and it's just yeah. Because uh, th- there is a lot, as I said, a lot to like about this movie too. I'm not overall negative. I might mm-hmm. be, you know, playing my playing my negative cards uh, early uh, because the more I talk about yeah. the details, obviously. Greenaway's skills are on full display oh, here. Yeah. So, yeah, I it's <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It opens in, you know, that that like black <laughs> void that you see a few times mm-hmm. and this dude who, you know, is just saying some stuff, saying that like uh the uh the the crops are, you know, barren and the women are barren and the animals are barren and there's no more life, man. Nothing's going to happen anymore. He says it in a crazy voice. And then a lady gives birth on a stage and we see kind of uh everything being revealed from the audience to the spectators that are on stage like just separated who also get like all these costume changes throughout which i think is pretty hilarious uh, it's like the most interactive theatrical experience <laughs> you could possibly get but when you're cosimo medici you can get that kind of interactive uh experience that would be like if fucking you know some billionaire uh jeff bezos walked onto like a marvel set and was like <laughs> you gotta throw me in you gotta <laughs> like the, uh, i'm working three days for you i'm expecting to be in 30 minutes of the movie yeah <laughs> and i'm a god yeah and, uh, <laughs> all the female superheroes love me but uh <laughs> <laughs> but it's very strange to see this it's like that i guess the old-timey version of the house lights being on like the audience is fully lit up by candle lights and everything and it, it's not like the darkness of the theater that you're used to other than that opening shot and a few times that it will go that dark and then you realize oh yeah of course Greenaway's not going like Barry Lyndon style where you're doing period appropriate lighting he's using all these crazy like newer kind of theatrical and film lighting techniques and staging techniques uh to mount this kind of incredible show with all these moving set pieces and everything and uh there's a lot of great just like tricks of putting the camera in the right place with a moving set and an audience and kind of negotiating the space in a really interesting way and I don't, I, I don't know I think just as a pure feat of mise-en-scene this is definitely like a, uh, a as Malcolm would say a one-of-one picture <laughs> also you know to speak of that like kind of like the nature of how everything unfolds since it's like a movie slash play and like you have like these transitions on stage you know what I mean like it's and so it kind of like gives like the narrative, although there's distinct points where major things happen, obviously, but like 
just kind of like melds it all together and it kind of makes it like almost like a non-stop experience you know what i mean and like what greenaway's giving you here is you know it's some interesting <laughs> stuff you know it's like uh you've got this very grotesque looking pregnant woman you know and whose the, face is like covered for most of the birth yeah and uh just that whole dynamic with uh how like you know, I guess the baby, we haven't talked about the baby yet. The well, baby I, of I'm glad you were getting to that yeah. opening scene right yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, the baby pops out of her and it's like a giant baby too, which is pretty funny. I don't know yeah. if you guys remember that viral video of the giant baby from last year. <laughs> that, like this baby. <laughs> that that freaked me out. It, it did. And yeah. so did this baby. <laughs> <laughs> These are some creepy babies. Throw the, throw the puppet from a net in there and you got a terrible trio of creepy babies. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we're, we'll talk about Annette in the middle yeah. segment, I'm sure. Uh, let's save that for then. So we see this childbirth, which signifies new life in a society that seemed like there was going to be no more of. So everyone is just going ape shit. And they're just like, let me get a piece of that baby. Let me touch its leg. Let me, let me touch trick its spit. Yeah. Uh, the one lady says, look at its little cock and balls. <laughs> and it's, it's like, just, come on, lady. Yeah, everyone's just trying to get their grift in. There's like, when there's a moment of hope, like everyone is trying to leech on their little scheme to it. Like the guy who... Uh, who fucked that woman is like, hey, who do you think? Who do you think put that baby in her? <laughs> yeah, and then he starts like jerking off into like an oil can kind of looking thing, and he's like, look, you want to pass this thing around? People might be interested. <laughs> it's pretty fucking ridiculous. Uh, in between that, also, like after the baby's born, you got this like big pile of like goo and like in a bowl and like ladies are like you know like it i don't know what they're doing they're reaching into themselves seemingly and throwing it into the bowl and i don't even want to know what was going on in that scene Dude, that's i had no idea <laughs> Greeno, i mean excuse my you know vulgarity but greenaway was saying he's like british pussies like no good that was that's that that's what he was that's what he was All saying right. yeah that was i don't know if that was a book but but you know what this movie invites that type of behavior yeah it, invites, it does there's a lot of goop and guts and you know dicks out. And a lot of people like laughing at it too. Like, yeah, a lot of people exactly. getting yeah. their jollies at this you know grotesquerie. It's it's a very it's a very nasty movie. Yeah. I think you know, I was gonna say first and foremost, but I guess that's kind of the balance of Greenaway. I guess, and it's like, I it's like he's he's always like transgressive with it. You know what I mm. mean? There's no there's no. Uh, you know, I guess it makes sense that he was saying, like, I don't like these Hollywood, you know, sexual assault scenes because he goes out of his way to make every, you know, little detail of not even just assault scenes, but just everything just nasty as possible. You know, whatever they're eating, it just looks like some just like gelatinous like meat or whatever that just looks rotten and rancid and, and people are uh, just throwing their own bodily fluids into it. It's yeah. just the nastiest. Yeah, I truly don't know what's going on there but anyway so uh uh the the british cooking also bad too right the main woman uh I why guess, do you think the said, pussy's so bad all right fellas <laughs> we gotta we gotta speed through this plot here we don't have time for these shenanigans um so the the main woman is the daughter of the woman who gives this birth uh, she's played by Julia Ormond. And hey, what do you know? She said she had a miserable fucking time making this movie and hates it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a fucking terrible experience. Uh, but anyway, she is kind of the protagonist, I guess. And she is claiming to be the mother 
uh, of this baby, even though it's like, what were all those people doing at the birth who were witnessing it? But yeah. whatever, I guess yeah. they're, yeah, they're in on it. I think, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so she, despite being the older sister of this baby pretends to be the mother and like is using, uh, the baby uh, as a tool. For, yeah. Like, she's like, saying it's a people. virgin birth. Yeah. And yet she's explicitly, you know, there's a scene where she's like, I'm going to use this baby, get some money for fame and fortune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's no there's no uh, sympathetic characters in this, and I, f- I find that with most Greenway movies, it's just everyone has kind of bad intentions, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it always finds a way to kind of wrap around in the end. Like even kind of like the bishop's son Ray finds the the movie star role character here. It's a uh, it seems like he's a man of virtue at first when they first encounter. You know what I mean? At the ball, you know he's he's. It's like the virgin birth is impossible. And then, you know, she's just like, what if we have sex or yeah. whatever? And, and that we, leads to the best scene in the movie. This absolutely. is what oh, yeah. got me absolutely. fully on board with the movie before it lost me. Uh, <laughs> I was like, like, this fucking set piece is incredible where they go into the barn, you know, for a little uh, little biblical fun. You know, she's poking fun about uh, the virgin birth and calling him Joseph, etc. And uh, then the baby comes in. And at that moment, it's like, you've seen all four walls of the room. Like, how are we still in the play? And then, like, uh, after the baby leaves and after all the insane shit goes down, one of the walls just comes down. And it's revealed that, like, the audience was just, like, listening to the whole thing go down. And that fucking blew me away. But what happens is, yeah, they're about to uh, have sex and there's a lot of gross talk about blood and stuff like that uh and then the baby is just like no way like no and the baby just points and uh i guess one of the animals attacks the ray bowl. finds at first but then ray finds his stomach just like explodes basically like it is a gore and splatter movie. yeah uh and i am saying that in a very positive Absolutely. way uh it is a fucking grotesque scene and the daughter is covered in his blood as well and uh, of course the the voice of like the old man through the baby is just like you gotta save your virginity it might yeah. come in handy that's later. the cost you gotta do it yeah. if you're gonna say you're, this is a virgin birth come on yeah. also probably prophesizes a dark future for her which i guess he's right on uh yeah also what i like about that scene is like when the baby shows up he's just it's like the way like those doors crack open it's like almost like you know the ray of sunshine Mm -hmm. coming in and he's just fully nude you know being like what's going on here (laughs) (laughs) a lot of you know one of those unfortunate movies where there there's child nudity in this movie unfortunately quite a bit (laughs) Um, but then things, uh, take a turn for the darker as the film goes on. Um, when her, like, what, what leads to the daughter strangling the boy? Um, well, she gets, they, they take her away. They're like, cause they're like, like, like you killed Ray Fiennes. Oh yeah. For uh, killing Ray Fiennes. But then she stuffs, uh, the, the boy, face into the pillow mm-hmm. while she's like in the cell or whatever and uh, there's a really crazy shot where it like paint or like backs out kind of like uh the end of the passenger similar shot going through like a uh, cell doors kind of and seeing that uh, cosimo medici watching the play and he's like oh no <laughs> <laughs> I guess I might that guy well. rules that guy is insane yeah <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, they can't execute her, though, because she is a virgin. But so, wait. But wait, Cosimo Medici <laughs> oh, has a Jesus. great idea. So he whispers to the bishop. Where does, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, they whisper and then the thing. Where does the 13 times 13 stuff come from? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no fucking clue. But uh, then, then the bishop's like, okay, we are handing her over to the militia, which is like 200 dudes. And one by one, uh, they are pardoned by the bishop. Uh, for like serving justice, you know, your sins are restored because you're doing something good and basically gives them permission to rape the woman. But then uh, it, the, I guess the, the curtain is pulled back. The, the fourth wall is broken. As you see two of the guys in this enclosed space where the actress is uh, actually start to rape her. And like the scene just keeps going on for like 13 minutes. So, you know, in the quote unquote reality of the play, the actress is getting raped over and over by all of these men. And the audience don't know that they're hooting and hollering at reality. And it's like, conceptually, you say that scene, it's like, okay, I understand what it's doing. And I could see that being pulled off effectively to a point. Uh, This just went on way too fucking long and was just too much for me. I, I could, you know, couldn't do it. It felt like uh, when I'm watching a Lars von Trier movie and I uh, feel sick. Yeah. I mean, it's like I like this movie less than the other Green Away I've seen. And it's like I think the horror isn't as in service of like I think there's a purpose here with this film. And I think uh, I'm generally on its side. But yeah. he just goes so like yeah. I, it goes on for so fucking long. Well, it's, it's one of just, those things where it's like the point of it. I understand. Like, yeah, I get what he's attempting to, you know, show with this and like the, the exploitation factor of it. Uh, literally not like exploitation as a film genre, but then it ends up being yeah. just that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, not for me. It's, all right. Some pros of that scene, the set design, right? It's pretty, yes. it's pretty the little chessboard thing with like yeah. the, traffic cones on it mm-hmm. and uh, that they're knocking down yeah i i'm not gonna say i was a fan of this scene either yeah. but like it is like the way like the camera like kind of you know maybe i take seven instead of 13 maybe that's that's my compromise here but it is i guess it's but at the same time you know even if i don't like it it's like i think he just wants to put people through the drudgery here yeah and no, you know, absolutely. as as honor, you could think of that as honorable or not. Maybe somewhere in between. I kind of respect that in a way. I yeah, yeah I do too. I do too. And he's been doing it in other ways throughout the movie. Like I, that's I guess that's why. Like I was just thinking because there are like some, there's like a lull in this movie that I like. It's kind of boring a little. You know yeah. what I mean? And then like, and I think like I don't know. Just contrasting like scenes where it's like roving around and they're just like naming pieces of cloth and they're like that's worth 500 slaves yeah. or whatever and like it's you know just very like it's like almost kind of uh like feel like designed to kind of put you at a somewhat of a remove and then like kind of this last or near last scene kind of comes in with that same similar style and with that same attitude and is just you know unbearable and i guess i somewhat respect the artistic decision going on here 
while watching it, it is, yeah, it goes a little long. It's a little yeah. unpleasant. Well, it's also, it's one of those things where I've sat through a lot of stuff that I hated watching, and then at the end of it, I realized, <coughs> like, a, a scene that I hated yeah. watching in a movie that was good, and yeah. I, I realized, you know, the, the p- purpose of it, obviously. Yeah. You know, not everything is meant to make you enjoy it, like, yeah. on a very base level. Um, but the more I think about this one, it doesn't quite come around for me yeah i don't know like i i gave it the three on letterboxd but i think i'm going two and a half bullets on this one i think this film is just kind of split down the middle for me where Mm -hmm. i there's a lot that i admire about it and there's a lot that i just kind of hated even if i understood what it was doing or whatever like even respect what it's doing conceptually uh just hate the experience of watching and thinking about it (laughs) yeah no yeah see like especially those quotes you gave it's like I don't even know thematically. I like kind of groove with it, but like style. Well, that's the thing. I yeah. looked those things up after and it made my impression of the movie worse. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like after watching it, reading how he responded to people's like qualms about the movie. Yeah. I was like, come on, man. Like maybe he's just being defensive because yeah. he worked really hard on his movie and <laughs> people were like, oh, it's too gross. And it's like, yeah, I, I understand that too. Like the frustration of that. But uh, yeah, not the way to talk about your own film, in my opinion. And the film should just stand yeah. on its own, though. So True, I should just judge it as that. And it is that. A two and a half bullet. I'm going three and a half bullets. I think there's a lot to admire here. A lot of, you know, cool, you know, props, goopy props he's got. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, when they you, you go to the haunted house and you stick your hand, in a, you know, a bowl of grapes and they say it's eyeballs. You know, I'm sure he was getting off to that <laughs> type of stuff as a child. But, um, yeah, like I, like, I don't know, just... I kind of the fervor this movie has, even before it kind of maybe pushes it a little bit too far, is something that just kind of kept me interested and entertained. And I think, like, yeah, it is like kind of like the the style of like this movie play thing. It, it's like a pretty impressive feat to me. I was kind of worried once I realized that's what it was going to be because I thought, you know, maybe visually, I don't know. I I, I, I trusted Greenaway's instincts to you know always be interesting, but maybe it would just be a little too flat because sometimes his movies could be like, I don't know, can have that quality to him. But like, I almost kind of like this more than Droughtman's contract even just because like there's more of a kind of, I don't know, maybe a, an energy throughout it that like kept me more uh, just, I don't know, not just entertained, I guess, or just. Uh, no, I, yeah, I yeah. like I like the propulsion that yeah, the story exactly. has because That's, it's like you're in like the real time of like a play yeah. there. And I do. That is one of my favorite parts of it. It's as a real well. bird band type movie. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's that's my thoughts on it. JT, what? Um, I'm going three and a half bullets as well. It's like there are other Greenway films that I feel like have more meat on their bones yeah. uh, than this. But I like his uh, stylistic impulses. And I I don't know, aside from that scene towards the tail end, I think like a lot of the misery is like, um, I don't know, is purposeful. And I think a lot of the misery is undercut by just sort of like crude humor and joking around. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's one reason I can kind of stomach that horrifying like rape scene a little bit is because I think it like in a movie that's like kind of like light, I mean, not light, but, but like I, playful, yeah, like more light. playful in its own way. It really like takes the rug out from underneath you there, but where like it's like no, I, it, it yeah. steps that horrifying level up to something that is I don't know legitimately 
uh, disgusting. Yeah, he was taking a big swing, and you know sometimes they don't always connect. You know, home runs out of the park, but we love big swingers. What can we say? And uh, Adam I Dunn. mean, we <laughs> exactly. we didn't talk about the scene where like the the baby's like kind of chopped up. Oh yeah, yeah. That's as the last that's scene cool. of it is they yeah. chop up the baby. I was actually, I was just like, <laughs> I was honestly shocked with how much they talked about that fucking baby penis in the beginning. That they didn't chop off the baby penis or like do something about it because there was like five or six different lines in the beginning when the baby's born of different ladies being like, "Oh look at his little cock and balls. <laughs> <laughs> look at his perfect little prick." Yeah, it is. I mean, that's that's one thing. About the movie, it's like every character here is like. I, by the way, I don't like way. the fact that they did that and then didn't pay it off at I, the end. I, I That's what I'm mean, saying. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. it wasn't in the chopping block at the end. I mean, you know, you'd already been through a lot at that point. You know what I mean? Do we? Do we need? To, I, you know, maybe that's what makes this a, a leave whole him with different a smile. Movie. Leave, leave him with a smile. smile. <laughs> <laughs> he leaves me with a cheeky joke. That's a big risk because if it doesn't land, that makes it worse. True. But if he lands like a cheeky joke at the end. True. Leave him with a smile. Wait, I thought that the leave him laughing. I thought that he was going to take a big chomp out of the foot of the out of the end like an apple. Yeah, that's what it looked like, but didn't happen. Didn't happen. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back on extended clip. I'll, I guess I have, I'll, I have things I'll, to say about it. If you okay, if you I'll bring it up, mention it if then, you I briefly guess. mention it, maybe we don't even I'll need to talk in. about it. Yeah, maybe we not. don't get. Maybe our promises are unfulfilled. We're back on extended clip. <laughs> it's everybody's favorite segment: promises unfulfilled. <laughs> so God, I guess, couldn't even get that one out. <laughs> Eddie promised big Annette discussion after the you know the first. Uh, right, well, if no one wants to choose episode, Annette for their Malcolm uh, in yeah, the middle, fuck let's just you, go. Fuck that. We're not talking about Annette. No. F- <laughs> Rapid fire round. Five words or less on Whoa. Annette. Uh, Annette, I, did, I enjoyed it. Good movie. Too straight to talk about this. I, I'm giving you one extra word. <laughs> I think you rated it higher than me for the record. But okay. I know. I'm just saying. That's I can't like. Uh, I, I I can't talk about it though. Hey, straight man made that movie. That's ours. <laughs> That's ours to keep. <laughs> Eddie, what's your five? I uh, admired a lot more than I enjoyed because there was definitely a lot to like about it, but uh, which is my Baby of Macon review as well. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot to like genuinely enjoy while watching. Like there were like five, ten minute spurts, but I. I just couldn't fucking stand the music. And it's a musical yeah. where they're singing every fucking line. And uh, it really pains me to say that all of my favorite parts of the movie are like the 20 to 30 second uh, parts where there's no music. <laughs> I think I got, I, yeah, I don't know. I got like kind of used to it. There's that shot yeah. of Adam I, I Driver like the music. on the uh, on the, like on the motorcycle and his face is superimposed, like double exposed. That rules. And it, it, the the score, it, it's not like the lead into a, a musical theater number. Yeah. It's just kind of like a pulsating beat, and it's like, oh, give me give me this forty second clip for two hours, like <laughs> flesh a flesh a neo noir out from there. It was a lot funnier than I thought it would be too. I thought it was. 
pretty fucking humorless. I, I, but I was also off the wavelength within an hour. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I was back and forth on it for the first hour, and then I was just like, I can't do it. Anymore. I mean, I can see why people think it's like humorless or like have that kind of reading from it. I, I think it's just the level of detachment for me. Like I don't know, just made it yeah. e- easier. Oh, so you're to, twisted. <laughs> easier to laugh along. I like the bitterness of it. I thought it was a pretty bitter fucking movie with pretty. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, pretty sad conclusions about everything. So maybe that's maybe that's why I liked it. I don't know. Wow, you guys are just too twisted. Too twisted. <laughs> I like nice positive movies. Fuck, True, we yeah. wound up talking about it. Yeah, God yeah. damn it! I'll cut, cut this shit yeah, out. I'll cut, cut this shit out. It's hey, I'm 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 a, I'm not afraid. Eminem. Yeah. It's Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> Life is unfair. Did you guys see any movies this week? Yeah. Yeah. And we're yeah. not talking about no Leos Carax movies. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I watched Thunderbolt by Joseph von Sternberg. I'd actually I'd seen Annette uh, recently, and I was just like, I don't know. I was like, I want to watch more 2021 movies. You know what I mean? And I searched for one for like an hour. I was like, there's literally nothing else that I could even think to watch, like yeah. nothing else. So it's like, let's throw it back. Let's go, go back to 1929, George ba- uh, Bancroft. Yeah. And I, this movie was really good. Like I, of course I expect the quality of movie from Von Sternberg, but I guess it's just not to fanboy out, but it's like every time I watch this, like, Oh yeah, this is elite. Like the rest of them. He has like so many good ones. And like this one's obviously kind of has a similar vibe to, underworld or whatever but it's like george bancroft basically you know he's tough guy thug and his girlfriend just kind of falling just for a normal guy just a regular guy and he just starts like kind of freaking out and like acting up and he ends up in prison with you know the boyfriend who he like kind of framed in this sort of thing or whatever and then the rest of the movie, which is like 40 minutes, just kind of plays out in this prison with them yeah. talking to each other. It's one of like a very strange, like, I don't know, maybe the strangest well, Von Sternberg that I've seen just because there's like so many like weird asides, like, like also George Bancroft, like playing with the dog and like wagging his, like getting on the floor like a dog and wagging his ass. And then like the neighbor lady coming out and being like, oh, I like that. I was some That's weird stuff in that yeah. movie. Well, it's an early enough talkie to where they're just like, oh, let's just let him talk, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, it has that classic, like, super fucking loud hiss on the soundtrack the whole time. And the camera is not going to be as mobile mm-hmm. as uh, even just, like, what is it? A year later, he does Morocco yeah. and Dishonored. And it's like, oh, okay, Von Sternberg for real now. Uh, or, like, silent Von Sternberg again, sure. you know. Uh, but it's it really uses the new capacities of the medium at the time as good as he possibly could. I think like Mm -hmm. for one of those early talkies that has that super hissy soundtrack, it also uses sound design really cleverly too. I was like very shocked by that when I saw it. No, it is, it is. He was thinking on like kind of terms that like, I feel like a lot of other like another, like the sound design in dishonored, although it's like a couple of years later, I believe it's like, it's like I. It's not really something I get from a lot of older movies. Maybe I need to do more research, especially but, that early yeah. in the sound era. Yeah, but it's like yeah, he uses kind of like the limitation. Maybe he. I don't know if it was a choice or maybe like whatever the technology wasn't able to move his camera as much. So like, let's just go to prison cells and do like weird framing with that. Yeah. You know, and uh, weird lap dissolves and shit. Exactly. Uh, 
And I, I mean, I love this ending, man. He's just, you know, he laughs all the way to the electric chair because <laughs> that's what I love about kind of like pre-code movies or whatever. It's like you could kind of have this stuff that's like not in like like movies to follow, kind of like you know maybe you know quote unquote immoral characters according to the Catholic Church or whatever. But it's like it's just like it all. Every every movie ends with like someone's got to go to the electric chair. Someone's got to <laughs> yeah. fucking die. That's that's the price we pay for this movie and. He, he has a pot. It's like, I don't know, maybe Von Sternberg kind of, you know, just laughing at that tradition, just laughing all the way to the death. So, <laughs> yeah, big fan of this movie. Uh, JT, you check out anything? Oh, yes, I did. Oh. I've been going to the theater a little bit, um, not really to see new movies, but to see some old favorites. And I uh, saw Ishtar last week um, on the big screen for the first time, and it was beautiful and delightful. I mean, I don't want to like. I, I as I sit here in my beautiful, directed by Elaine May T-shirt. <laughs> I, we all have them on, by the way. We're all watch, wearing directed by Elaine May podcast t-shirts. uniform. I'm like doubled up. I'm, I'm wearing like two. What do you think the Patreon money goes toward? <laughs> Trip. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I don't like. I don't know. You're not writing the book on like this actually being a good movie, but this time around, I was really taken aback by like the structure of it. Like, I mean, I think like the first 20 minutes or so before they go to the Middle East, um, just really fucking goes hard and yeah. it's so fucking funny. And the way you get like, I don't know, just taking Hoffman and Beatty and making them like the two saddest, most pathetic men. <laughs> like you get the little intro of them, like playing the clubs at first, but then you get them like trying to separate and be at the bar and then the flashback of like how they came into each other's lives and destroy everything about it. It's a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's so fucking funny. And I just like, can't get over like any, another like very basic opinion to have, but that this was a movie that was made just, it's like, Oh, we're going to have two fucked up lounge shit singers go to the middle East. That's a, that's a great premise. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God, Ishtar, actually good. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you. I mean, know people this. have been waving <laughs> that flag for about a decade now, but hey, we're not we're not turning it away. Oh uh, yeah, you know, four for four on that front. I think, uh, needless to say, we'll uh, hold the flag for a little bit. We'll take our turn. I'll, I'll hold the flag. <laughs> Look, uh, I'll, I'll break character here. I'm not wearing the t-shirt, but. <laughs> I'll whip the flag for those films. Yeah, I don't think that goes to Elaine May anyway, so I don't don't think you have to worry about that. Going to get a cease and desist for mentioning Elaine May's t-shirt. Wait, no, hold on. I got the logic of that one twisted. Been listening to a little Steely Dan, got some pretzel logic. You like my new delivery? (laughs) Goy! Very very (laughs) Jerry-esque. But did you watch anything this week, Eddie? Uh, yeah, you know what? I heard that same story that JT just told about going to the theater to watch Ishtar, and I was so inspired that I found out what theater he went to, <laughs> oh, okay. and I tracked it down, and I waited till there was a screening that I could sneak my little <laughs> self into. <laughs> just little old me sneaking into the Balls movies. On the <laughs> Yeah. Eddie and I were stacked on like on top of each other in like a big trench coat. Well, <laughs> if we went together, maybe we could do that. But flying solo, I gotta walk backwards through the exit. <laughs> this, is a, this is going over my head. <laughs> you don't know about that strategy? 
<laughs> anyway, I, I, I paid. Oh my... no, I'm just leaving. I have to try that. That's actually really good. I, I liked. I liked when movie theaters had like side doors. You just wait, sneaking through the side door. They don't really have them anymore. Oh boy. Well, I paid my full price <clears throat> ticket to see Mulholland Drive by David Lynch last night at said theater, the Los Feliz Three. On 35mm, looked fucking incredible. Print was a little uh, beaten up, but in a good way. Like, it's like, you know, this film's probably been played once or twice a year for the last 15 years or so. There's a little wear on it, but it really contributed to that feeling of it just being, hmm, I don't know, uh, both so dedicated to the dream of classic Hollywood. You know, there's that old saying, oh, it was a dream factory They made, where they made the pictures back in the day. But using David Lynch's uh, obvious predilection for the dream world and his fascination with the artificiality of classic Hollywood really combine here into his, I guess, like, uh, you know, most in, or his film that's most indebted to the classic Hollywood style, I would say. And... I don't know. I It was a little late at night. I was dozing off here and there, and it's the best film to do that to if you've seen it a few times, of course. Uh, of course, you're going to get jolted back awake by some ridiculous uh, sound. Even there's a uh, little message to the projectionist from David Lynch that was like, play this three decibels hotter than usual. And uh, I think it's like... I don't know, something about the, the mat of the frame. He wanted more headroom than usual for 1.85... I, I don't know. I was sitting right up close, so I couldn't fucking tell the details. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, what else can you say about Mulholland Drive? Obviously, it's like a huge canon classic. But I think the more that I sit with it over the years, really the simpler it becomes. Like it is really just these kind of two different worlds. And uh, there's so many dualities, and especially the last 20 years of David Lynch films that that's just the the way he operates. There's always going to be two of everything. <laughs> Give me two with everything, <laughs> uh, says me at the Cupid's Hot Dogs in Northridge. Uh, real ones know my order. Two with everything from Cupid's. Um, oh, Eddie's coming in. He'll want the regular. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's a... Um, hmm. I don't know. There, there's such a joy to kind of that split feeling of watching his movies, especially when you've seen them again and the way they work in like these split and fractured and uh, dual narratives where you're kind of filling in the other side as you go on rewatch. And it just makes it that much re more rewarding. And also just the textures of this on film, like the I'm, I'm sure the new 4K will look nice, but home video has never really done it proper justice uh just how like kind of gauzy and glossy those like glamour looking close-ups on the two ladies are it's really just a one-of-a-kind picture but hey i'm not the first one to tell you that <laughs> i need to catch that on a print that's uh that's high priority we'll be right back on extended clip nice spot a little candy cane for my taste but then i'm an adult team now Brain boy playtime is over Baby Courageous. It's my time! Bouncing Boy. I like bouncing. Can a brother get some water? Get back to work. And Cupid Girl. Spread the love. 
love you, man. <laughs> this summer, shake it up. We're back on extended clip. Uh, before we get into our B movie for today, and this one really is a B movie, low grade pile of junk. Uh, I just wanted to plug real quick, a real high class operation. <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/extendedclip. Um, two dollars a month on the Patreon will get you a bonus episode every single week. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of good ones out there. You know, we just did one on the Thomas Crown Affair. We're about to do one on the uh, One from the Heart by Francis Ford Coppola. We've done quite a few Coppolas on the uh, Patreon, now that I think about it. Haven't we only done, or well, we did The Godfather. All three Godfathers. But? So that's that's a good amount. That's four total. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. We Look, we've done most of his movies at this point. <laughs> uh, but hey, more to come. And uh, yeah, $6 a month, you get the PDF Club, our monthly digital publication, which is coming out the August edition in the next week. Well, actually, you'll be hearing this on Friday, so in the next less than a week. Some good work on there, too. You know, I, I wrote kind of like a, if any, any ladies out there looking for a hot bachelor, the hottest cinema bachelors to pick up on, it's kind of like a cosmopolitan style article you know what i mean so if you're if you're out there looking that was like two months ago right uh, a month or two you know time's kind of uh running real together for me at the you but know malcolm writes month. all of these at the beginning of the year and he just <laughs> sends them out to me. that uh, is true that was two months ago though yeah <laughs> um and hey summer's still here you could check out my uh, list of recommendations of hot summer movies <laughs> such as grown-ups too in my description of uh uh Never mind. <laughs> oh. Super Babies. Baby Geniuses 2 by Bob Clark. Now, this is the man who's brought to you so many great films. Black Christmas. Porkies. Porkies. Death Dream. Death Dream. A Christmas Story? Uh, not great, but A Christmas Story. There's that's that a, one. Well, Porky's big... I don't think is great either, but it was a movie. It was a <laughs> big there. movie he did. I haven't seen it yet. Look, I'll, I'm going to be honest. I don't think Black Christmas is all that great. It's really, really good though. It's okay. a it's a hard three and a half for me. Death Death Dream is Death Dream's really good. If you've I, never seen that, that seems to be the pick. Death Dream yeah. seems to be the one that everyone says is great. So I'll definitely watch that one. Um, but Bob Clark also made a couple of stinkers toward the end of his career. Well, he's probably karate made dog. quite a few stinkers, such as the Karate <laughs> Dog. <laughs> You know, all right, connecting the dots. We love connecting the dots here. Yes. And if you were a baby, you would love playing connect the dots. Well, all right, even before that, if you're a baby, you would love Super Baby Geniuses 2, whatever it's called. (laughs) Because it's. I think this movie is just designed for, if you have a baby, you could put this movie on and they could hang out with other babies. And I think that's it. But, uh, but, um... Uh, damn, that point was so good. I forgot what I was going to say. No, I remember Just Bratz. Wrap it here. Bratz. The movie Bratz. Yes. John Voight. And the, I don't know the actress's name, unfortunately, but the blonde, the, 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 the babysitter in this movie or the older sister babysitter. I wasn't yeah. paying that much attention. Um, the young adult female. Yeah. yeah. And like, she's also in Bratz too. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. I and, didn't know that. And I looked up who directed the super baby sequels. It's the guy who directed Bratz. McNamara? Yeah, McNamara. Nice. So it's like... It's I think, crazy because this movie feels like the opposite of Bratz. I was true. hoping we would get a Bratz situations on our hands It's here, weird but. because in Bratz, John Voight... We, we talked about Bratz on the podcast a long time ago uh, alongside Teorema by Pasolini. And 
John Voight's performance in that was so like dead and sleepwalking, but it was so funny because of that. Like it was like this was such a strange oddity of a film that was like so high strung, but then you have this one very loose piece in John <laughs> Voight who's just bumbling around the set kind of. And then this film feels like the entire production is just this bumbling slop that's sleepwalking and John Voight is giving as like high effort. Yeah, he's handing it up. Not a good performance, but as high effort of a performance as I've seen from him in that decade, probably. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's not interesting about this movie. There's a couple weird aspects. The historic there's kind of a historical tilt to this, all this kind of a You mean that Void is like kind of a Nazi? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's an East German. Yeah. So it's yeah. Well, that's the other thing. They equate East Germany to like Nazi Germany, basically, yeah. like throughout the whole movie. It's a very strange, like they're standing up kind of fuddle because it's like, look, they're babies. They don't fucking know history. <laughs> you can sneak this you can sneak this shit past anyone. Yeah, but it's like it's also it's like why like I don't like given what like how the rest of the movie is, it's it's funny mm-hmm. that these few details have kind of seeped yeah. through. You know, maybe they're they're standing up East Germany, standing up against you know communism. You know what I mean? I guess that's the whole stance of the the movie, right? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> John, John Voight is out to, to, as Dave Kerr said in his review, terrorize the baby class. Which that's, I thought was all hilarious. That's sort like of the phrase. Dave Kerr reviewed this movie. They like, they send him out. They're like, can you go watch <laughs> Super Baby in Genius? 2004 yeah. for the New York Times? But he's like seventy five yeah. or something. <laughs> Hey, he's still kicking. He's, oh, I'm sorry. He follows I'm me sorry. on Twitter. Let's no, take it easy man. on old days. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to older people. I, I can be rude. <laughs> no, this one, this episode's for the babies. Do it. <laughs> True, yeah. Hey, your parents stink. Older people stink. <laughs> they, they don't know what's up. They don't know about being a cool kid like me. But anyway, John Voight is terrorizing the baby class by doing a Halloween 3 season of The Witch style TV mind control scheme where he's starting up this new children's channel that is going to be the hot new thing on television uh, where all the children in America will get brainwashed. And um, Oh, it looks like the frog that the, is repeatedly shown mm-hmm. in there, that looks like some vaudeville minstrel show ass yeah, like stuff. That's like just strange. It's just yeah. like, why is that? I, for a second, I was like, why is he like ha- actually going to having blackface on this children's network? Well, there but, is a lot of weird racial stuff. Well, like the first thing you hear a baby say is the uh, young African American baby who you hear say, "What kind of milk you drinking?" Which yeah. is just like, "Come on, man!" Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. the first line of the movie that a baby says, and that, then we like reestablish, I assume, from the first Super Babies movie or from the first Baby Geniuses movie, rather, uh, <laughs> like that they speak their own language that only they can hear. But for some reason, the teenager that works at the daycare can hear it. And there's this insane ADR line that's like 30 minutes in where. Like nobody's on screen and you just hear one of the babies say, how come you can still hear or how come you can still understand baby language? And she just says, I guess I just never lost it. It's it's like <laughs> Stewie then, family guy. Roles. Yeah, I guess so. she's got baby brains. <laughs> but it's so weird because nobody is talking on screen in that exchange of dialogue. It's a very strange, like almost like they forgot to account for that until editing. Well, that's. That's kind of what might be the most painful aspect yeah. of this movie. Purely unprofessional. Purely. Well, yeah, yeah. it's it, like the ADRing of like, you know, these babies, you know, these babies talk, but can babies talk in real life? 
Unfortunately, no. Not even going to attempt to get Not a baby get, to yeah. move its so, mouth. <laughs> so we'll have like seven-year-olds say the lines for him or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, and we'll put those lines on screen and, you know, sometimes their mouth doesn't move when they talk. So it's just kind of a, I guess that happens in uh, what is the baby of Macan movie what we just <laughs> yeah. watched. There's a little, I guess they share that aspect too. Exactly. A bit An older puppetry. person is speaking for them. <laughs> yeah. But in this movie you have this really grotesque kind of digital wonkery of uh, moving the mouths to, of the babies to like not even to match what's it's being said, but it's like to approximate it almost. And Mm -hmm. it's so hard to look at. And I'm honestly glad I had like a terrible standard deaf rip because in HD, this would have been even more disturbing. (laughs) I think, think, you know, it's interesting about this movie. I think it got like a wide release, probably like why they had Dave Kerr review it or whatever. Estimated $20 million budget. Where did the money go? Yeah. But also it's like, I, well, I mean, yeah, that's crazy. That's because that's like, this is a movie that without a doubt, even probably then, would have been relegated to direct-to-video. Yeah. And there's like seven sequels of these, thankfully, that are probably all direct-to-video. And I think, because this is like pretty noted for being a especially bad movie, I think it just kind of caught people off guard, like this level of just hackery. Like people just, you know, just, you, you could just say, just you know, there's not a lot of care put in, into this movie. Even, you know, the shitty movies that come out, but they still just have like a professional quality to them. This movie doesn't have that. Or even (laughs) like a sloppily made shitty movie that has like, I don't know, that's part of the charm, but this is just, just lazy. Yeah. Because we're not here to just like, Oh, let's find one of the worst reviewed movies ever and talk about how bad it is because that's the podcast we do. Like we've come across some of these movies that end up being a lot of fun or at least a lot of fun to talk about. We talked about monster Island, that yeah, was a was hit. Uh, well, JT didn't like it, but it was a hit for the <laughs> other Armand two of us. Mode on it. <laughs> uh, Bratz, of course. We're going to talk a lot about Bratz, I guess, this episode because we don't want to talk about this one. Well, I wanna, Bratz like, was a lot of fun. That's like that. the golden space for a bad movie for me is the gentleman's two and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bratz is like one of the strongest two and a halfers I have ever seen where it's just like there's something... I don't know. Something's in the water in a two and a half star movie where it's like just good enough to get you there. With Bratz, right? It's like, you know, it's movie magic. Sometimes you get on set and sometimes magical things happen. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, you know, just sometimes just weird quirks end up on screen. That really is like, at least from what I've searched out, like the best. That's the creme de la creme of like that type of movie. Super Babies is quite possibly the opposite to where it's just like. No, none of that. Ma- there's no magic here. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like it's a combination of things. I mean, I mean, you have the parents, right? Scott Bio, Bayo or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's just on his cell phone the whole fucking movie. Not does barely a performance, barely a performance there. And then you kind of have like this base where like a good chunk of the movie happens. Yeah. C- the kid layer. Oh, oh yeah. There's an, layer. Alpha, there's an alpha kid. There's like, you have the babies <laughs> who's actually 90 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you just have the senior citizen trapped in the body of a seven year old hanging out with a bunch of babies <laughs> who's, who's committed his life to baby liberation ever since <laughs> his brother, John Voigt started running these like Nazi orphanages. <laughs> it's very strange. There's, I guess, you know, you know, it's Baby movie, there's a lot of stuff for adults in it too. You know? <laughs> Some of the stuff includes like an homage to The Great Escape. 
uh, in the very beginning and that the music cue was used a couple times and he's kind of wearing the Steve McQueen leather jacket uh, which is so stupid and like even um, in one of the action scenes you get a little three stooges uh, eye poke and like sound effects a little bit and uh, you know someone makes a reference to Ringo Starr and there's like a Terminator reference and it's like it, the babies don't like this. The parents have got to be checked out by this point. Yeah. <laughs> why Why are you putting it in? It's just like th- the lowest of the low effort is there, and somehow they all miss the mark. Like complete, There's no happy accidents in this movie. Some parts of it are very strange, but not even in a good way. Yeah. Well, it just it also just seems like like that like Kahuna's lair, right? I think it's a perfect example of the movie. Like, they just go down there for like 20 minutes and just like hang out or whatever. Yeah, like the, they just talk. The, why isn't the the teenager girl saying anything when she's just like yeah. in this layer for 30 minutes? <laughs> and then it's like the uh, this other teenage boy pops up. He's like, yeah, yeah I've just been chilling here. I hang yeah. out with Kahuna. It's like, yes, there needs, there needs to be more antics in something like this. Yeah. If I'm going to get on board with it in any way, there needs to be like set pieces or things, but it's too yeah. much like talking well, in layers. There is a lot of action set pieces too. Not a lot, but there are a handful of action scenes involving Kahuna, and he's kind of this like Steven Seagal type action star who doesn't need to like move or touch anybody. Yeah, it's like the because it's a seven year old doing the choreography, it's like so minimal. And you know, Bob Clark doesn't really, you know, get his old juice, his old kids' movie juices flowing to shoot this anyway, inventively. Like, say what you will about the boringness of a Christmas story or whatever, at least like it looks like a proper movie. Yeah. Like, yeah you you yeah. watch that on TV year after year. And it's like, okay, yeah, there, there's like proper use of perspective and like, it, it's a solid director behind it. Uh, this is just like, I don't know what's going on here for most of it. Uh, yeah. I think, I mean, just everything we've mentioned, right? Like the offhand references kind of the, you know, the lack of any, like anything like visual coherence or whatever. And like kind of just, you know, having to work around working with like, babies or whatever it's like how much can you make a baby do you yeah. know what i mean it's like i think this this is just kind of like a doomed recipe of things and i think they kind of you know maybe somewhat realized it or maybe just like you know bob clark he dies after this right or something like that yeah, it's the last movie he made before he died he died I, yeah. in 07 but okay. yeah. yeah this kind yeah. of put a stain on him for a little while i think i think people involved like they got into the movie and they realized they're like oh fuck we're like we're in deep let's just finish this shit and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, well, because you assume those setups where it's like a table full of babies talking, like yeah. shooting the coverage for that oh my God. must be like, I'm sure people were just zoning out, checking out completely, just not even bothering. And that's why you get all these takes where it's like the the animation of the mouths can't even come close to fi- fitting what they're trying to get the babies to say. What it's like, you should just do it as a full on dub, like a like a you know it, it is already is a low rent movie. You might as well make it look like one, and it does look like one. But you might as well lean into it and just do a dub. But uh, it looks it's just so creepy the way the babies talk. I it, it's really unsettling. 
the the plot is so slowly doled out because you know a four year old has to understand it. Look, I understand this movie not aimed at me, okay? <laughs> but it's so fucking frustrating to watch. It made me feel like I was a kid again, having a terrible day at school that would never end. <laughs> Damn, I remember like I remember seeing this in theaters. I saw this. <laughs> I saw this in theaters. Wow. And uh, did I don't, you like it at the time? I don't remember having any impression, but I just remember the weird lair and like that scene where they fight those dudes in the alley or whatever. So you at least of, of the three of us have seen it in the proper aspect ratio on 35 millimeter. Yeah. <laughs> I saw I saw Super Baby Geniuses too on 30. <laughs> saw a print, good print of it. Um, Opening right print. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This. There's not really much to say. Yeah. Do you guys have any like favorite parts from the movie? <laughs> <laughs> I like no. when they, I, I like when they get in the little telecommunication system in the lair and they're like talking to Whoopi Goldberg and then some boy band comes in and sings a song to them and then uh, George Bush is on the screen for a little bit. I I don't like that. I just felt like pointing it out. No, I mean that stuff is. Uh, uh, I like things that are of the time in movies like this, but uh, there isn't much of it. That's like the most fun the movie has is like we got Whoopi and like in sync or whatever. And Whoopi's asking, "Where are those kids we got from Thailand?" <laughs> Strange thing to ask. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's maybe there's. You know, we don't want to connect too many dots here. Uh, so then there's this action climax as John Voight tracks down the layer, and you just have all these adults chasing around these little babies around a layer who have their superpowers. And look, I'll, I'll say this much. Brain Boy, I'll take that t-shirt. Oh, I'll, I'll be Brain Boy. I'll wear the Brain Boy jersey. <laughs> but yeah, that final like action climax is so stupid and like uh the girl her power is being like cupid she, she's called like cupid girl that's that's and my so favorite she part of makes the movie. two of john Voigt's goons be gay for each other well that's that's what the mm-hmm. funny part about it is like yeah that was the good see there is something for the adults but it's like it's also like they couldn't be gay so like their love for each other is like a friendly love they're like oh hey bring it here man like, yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's that 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 caught me off guard that was funny um when John Voight's motivations become more clear at the end, and like especially their their reta- retaliating motivations, I guess uh, it really does expose it as like a very like American two thousand four kind of thing, where you know John Voight's trying to uh, mind control people through TV, and then they're just like, oh, you know how what we're gonna do is we're gonna give them freedom control, <laughs> and uh, they do that by taking away the mind control from TV, and what do you know, the numbers on kids going outside of gone way up <laughs> yeah this is a big movies over tv movie which you yeah. have to you have to respect but is like not really selling the case for yeah it's like kids turn <laughs> off your tv where you're definitely watching super babies yeah, geniuses yeah. too like, turn the shit off yeah <laughs> it, it really is a bit contradictory there uh but it's a real just like that's america's problem right now is that these kids are just watching tv <laughs> they need more freedom Half a bullet for me. This is the new low of the podcast, literally. I've never gone half a bullet, but I'm just serving up a half one right now. I'm just cocking the cocking the gun back, but barely even, not even just playing with the trigger. Uh, I, yeah, I'm going half bullet too. And I, I got to say, JT, this is the most unpleasant double feature so far. So I do, yeah, I do I, have to give you the the cake, like. And like I enjoyed, uh, you know, the that wild ass baby from McCone or whatever, but. Uh, uh, 
it is just like wow that's uh these were these are two movies i watched today and that was yeah. a lot to take <laughs> who would have thought <laughs> that the 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 movie where the woman gets raped 200 times was less disturbing uh of the two movies but super babies baby geniuses 2 was i i can't over I can't overestimate or overstate rather how disturbed I was by this movie. Like it literally pained me to keep going. I kept pausing it. I was like, I, I, I don't want to do this. Can I just back out? And I would have to resume it and then pause it. Again. I can't watch this. What, what do I do? <laughs> JT. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm first off, I'm revoking the half bullet that I gave to Monster Island. I think I upped it since then, since uh, referring, since me going armed mode has been a recurring feature. (laughs) I've reevaluated some of my half, uh, half star rankings so that they're not looked at with such scrutiny. (laughs) But yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing half bullets. I'm only doing full bullets. uh, I mean, like I'll do like, one and a half bullet, perhaps, but not in this case. This is one bullet straight through all the. You line those babies up. <laughs> just one bullet straight through all their domes. Um, yeah, no, it's it sucks shit in a way that wasn't like particularly compelling or interesting that I was hoping it would be. Um, just unsettling babies. I mean, maybe now I think, like, I didn't know all of the details of the events of baby of Macan. I just knew disturbing yeah. and maybe there's a little poor taste to <laughs> like <Clear> those up. <laughs> yeah after uh, like literally just after seeing the horrific gang rape and a baby being cut up into pieces and then being like well I'm gonna watch some kids play around with John Voigt it was uh, we've kind of we've created a very strange particular mood for this episode mm-hmm. it's Baroque it's like Baroque. what Peter Greenaway was going for <laughs> see I'm just doing a Greenaway in uh, you know kind of tone setting here Greenaway and, is a much cooler name than Greenway I have to say sure Greenaway yeah um, oh, okay I guess <laughs> I'm over it <laughs> <laughs> like I said yeah I don't I don't need to watch another one of his movies for a second to be honest after after he served me up that. And after a Baroque double feature, how about a Baroque email? Uh, extendedclippodcast at gmail.com is where you will send us your emails. And we will read them on this segment right here. After I take a water sip. I was like, what What other yeah, like, stuff wait, does what? he have in store? <laughs> who's, wait, who's picking the... Uh, I got it. You got, got it? it. I got it. I, I have it. <laughs> I have it this time. Our email comes from returning email champion, Piss Millionaire. The subject is Revenge of the Millionaire's Riddle. Hello, fools. I have returned with another diabolical riddle, and this one will surely test your mettle. You are walking down a long strip of highway in the middle of nowhere because you are a rube who fell asleep on some bus, and now you are somewhere in the United States. The time is roughly 1749, and the smells of early spring fill the air. After walking down this highway for what seems like hours, it was 15 minutes, you realize you haven't seen a single vehicle. Suddenly, you come across a wonderful sight, a crisp and cool million-dollar bill laying in the middle of the road. However, before you can pick this wondrous item off the ground, uh, you see two other individuals also darting for the money. One of these individuals is a child no more than 10 years old. The other is a woman roughly your age. You know in your heart that if you wish to obtain this item, you will have to kill one of them right here and now. 
If you kill one of them, the other will flee in terror, and you will lay claim to this million-dollar bill. Please publicly state in recorded audio format if you would prefer to kill a child or a woman in cold blood. Kill the woman, the baby, like, or the child... He'll repress that shit. Yeah, exactly. It's I assume he what did was the age? Like less than ten. Mm-hmm. I think that your mind isn't fully formed. They'll get over it. Okay. They'll like they'll it'll be fine. I can't do anything to the kid either. I mean, yeah, I would just kill them both. You kill them both. I don't yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm taking the money regardless. That's all I gotta say. No matter what I have to do to get on top, I'm getting that fucking money. So I mean a million dollars, man, you know, people are like you know, the, the, they propose a lot of hypotheticals for a million dollars. Just I have th- a dinner with Jay-Z instead. Dinner with Jay- yeah, I'll take, uh, <laughs> I'll take seven dinners with Jay-Z because it is, you know, it's not quite a million, but it's, it's you know, it's close. But uh, See, I feel like there's no answer because it's a riddle. And like you guys answering the question, I feel like that's not the answer to the riddle. Oh, I feel so like yeah, the answer to the riddle, the child is a woman. Oh yeah! All right, so Malcolm, what's our double feature for next week? Well, you we, we said a woman around our. That's wrong. Yeah, you, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're not. Yeah, uh, uh, so you didn't figure it out and got out of answering it. <laughs> hey, what? Hey, what does she look like? Um, <laughs> uh, if you could maybe, send that picture over, piss millionaire, what yeah. she looks like, we'll have an answer next week. She looks good. Maybe we could split it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all, right, um, all right i've been i'm a free rambling man all right okay Waylon. <laughs> i've been you know i've been going everywhere man they've been sending me everywhere so you know i've been i've picked a couple movies about a couple of drifters a couple of you know uh type of those fellows and so i picked mr lonely by harmony corinne Ooh. the only harmony corinne movie i haven't seen the feature at least and jubal by Delmer Daves, uh, a guy who directed a lot of westerns and like the three I've seen, I've been a huge fan of. I feel like he has had a high hit rate for me so far. Jubal looks just as much fun. So let's do that. You got Ernest Borgnine? Can't lose. Absolutely. That's Glenn Ford, I believe. I'm looking forward to that because I saw his uh, 310 to Yuma very early in me trying to get into westerns and didn't really like it, but I also just like didn't like westerns yet. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I rev- Rewatched it. I would like it. That was a record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. Give it a rewatch. Okay. Bye. <laughs>